Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And while you're thumbing through there, um, if you're visiting or new to Grace of Man, let me tell you just a little bit about us. We, um, we're a group of people who believe this book. We believe that it really is inerrant and it really is infallible and all that business. And we also believe that, um, that the, the, the message of Jesus Christ is what the world needs to hear most. So that, we'd love to tell you some more. But um, that's a little bit of an introduction to us. Um, I want to read to you now uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read it, begin reading at verse 12 and finish up at verse 19. So you follow in your copies as, as I read uh, this portion of this word. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, I I am going to make this very simple this morning. Um, I'm not going to try to dazzle you with my great intelligence. I'm not going to try to wow you with uh, some facts or overwhelm you with some kind of undeniable argument. I I want you to, I want to say basically one thing, and I want you to be able to, uh, I mean, you can call this the the takeaway, I guess they call that in the business world. Um, One thing that I want you to listen or hear, and um, if you get this, then then I'll be perfectly pleased. But here it is. Everything in Christianity is writing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything, everything in this Christian faith is riding on the resurrection of Christ. Now, I, I know of no other passage in the entire Bible like this one where the author of the passage, in this case it's Paul, who hangs so much weight, who, who throws so much emphasis on one event out of the life of Jesus Christ and basically says it's all or none. He rolls the dice and says, everything, everything's hinged upon. It's it's riding on the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, guys, Easter, this Easter season, Easter celebration, has become quite a big deal for, for lots of reasons. But if you were to subtract all of the cultural trappings that go along with the, the celebration, it's still a big deal. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal because in Christianity, everything, everything is riding on it. It's the bottom line. 
It's, it's the resurrection that separates Christianity from all other world religions, ladies and gentlemen, from all other philosophies and ideologies. You know, recently I got a, I got a, a letter from a man uh, who was explaining to me why he was giving up on the Christian faith and why he was leaving not only the church, he was leaving everything. He was leaving the, the faith and, and here was his explanation. He, he had done some global traveling, and he'd gone to the Mideast and gone to Asia, and it, it, his travels had made him conclude um, that all of the other world religions were equally valid, were equally correct. And you know, um, <clears throat> I would agree with that, were it not for one fact, that being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guys, n- no other world religion has a leader, has a founder that uh, resurrected from the dead. I mean, if you visit the, uh, the, the tombs of Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad, you're going to find something in there. As icky as it might be, there's something in there, you know? You go to the tomb where Jesus was buried and there's nothing there. It's empty. Um, guys, Christianity is prone to make some very exclusive, very, very superior claims. Um, and all of those claims uh, are, are based in and riding on the uh, physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gang, um, that, only Christianity has the audacity to make those kind of claims, claims, claims that are over the top. But they're claims that are, that are founded upon an historically verifiable event, that event, of course, being the, the resurrection. Folks, um, Christianity does not ask you to commit intellectual suicide. It doesn't ask you to set aside your rational faculties or to, to take some blind leap off into the dark across Lessing's ditch. Some of you may know what that is, but the Christian gospel is eminently rational. Faith and reason are not enemies. They're not opposites. Um, Paul does not say we don't walk by faith. We, we walk by faith, not by reason. He says we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, folks, um, in Christianity, um, we have underneath us this extensive foundation of facts, the chief of which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the core, at the core of the Christian faith is a resurrected Christ. Everything is riding on it. Everything is riding on him being resurrected. The the resurrection is the central theme in every recorded sermon in the book of Acts, uh, which which is the record of the early church. Um, Peter and Paul and and John and, and Stephen, they all make the emphasis or place the emphasis on the resurrection. Why? Because these guys knew that Christianity stands or falls on the, on the back of a historical, uh, historically verifiable 
physical, bodily, resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, guys, um, that's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 15. That, it, I didn't read much of it, but that's basically what he is doing for you in, in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He's saying that, uh, that everything's resting on this accomplished fact uh, of, of his resurrection. Um, and, and then he gives you several examples of things that are at stake if Christ be not resurrected. Now, to his list of very profound items, I would like to add, I would like to add two, just two examples of things that are riding on the, the resurrected Christ. Um, one of them is somewhat brief. The other one is somewhat lengthy. So let's get to work. Uh, two things. Here's an example of um, some things that are, that are riding on the, the factuality of the resurrection. This. This book. Um, do you believe this book? You do? Why? Um, you don't? Why? Um, guys, unfortunately, Christians um, have made statements to prove their belief in the Bible by appealing to texts that are found in the Bible. F- folks, um, that's not fair. Uh, in, any average skeptic will tell you that that's what he calls, and he's right, it's called circular reasoning. That is, you're using statements from this book to prove that this book is true. Don't do that. We don't need to do that. Because we have a better proof, ladies and gentlemen. The truth of this book is based on the resurrection. L- let me explain myself. Um, Jesus Christ said he believed this book. He said it numerous times. In fact, on a couple of occasions, he said that he was going to die to make sure that it got fulfilled. That every jot and tittle, none of it will go unfulfilled. And he's going to have to die to fulfill this book. So he does die. He then goes on to resurrect. And it's that resurrected Jesus Christ that said he believed this book. Now, if he is resurrected, you better listen to him. If he's not, it's just one man's opinion about this book. I believe this book, but I believe it because a resurrected Jesus Christ believed it himself. But if he didn't resurrect... Then, then this book is wrong about that part of the story, and then consequently it's wrong about several parts of the story. And so, so don't believe this book. Burn this book. Throw this book away. Don't come back here next week. Because it's all, it's all a sham. But if he resurrected and he believed this book, then I ought to believe this book. Um, but there's another thing. My, my second example of things that are, that are riding on Jesus being resurrected. And, and I think it's, um, it's, it's more directly uh, related to this whole s- subject of resurrection anyway. But it has to do with our view of death. Which is, a, which is really a big thing, isn't it? I mean... Um, uh, Sigmund Freud spent uh, the entirety of his life dealing with phobias and, and anxieties that he had because of his impending death. William James 
Another uh, very well-thought-of psychologist said that death is the worm at the core of man's pretension to happiness. Wow! Uh, Death is the worm at the core of my pretension to happiness. Ernest Becker, who is a uh, celebrated author, said that of all things that move man, the thing that moves him the, the, the most is his terror, terror of death. Guys, I'm just quoting those three guys to let you know, or just to substantiate, that, that this is a big deal. You know, we, we Christians, we say, um, heaven awaits those who die in Christ. Well, how do you know that? Well, Jesus said so. Well, you know, maybe he's delusional. Could be. But you see, if he's resurrected from the dead, then he knows things. He knows things about death, and he knows things about eternity. And, and he, has, he has shaped, he has given us our view of death. But there are other views besides his. Let me tell you about a couple. Um, Tony Campolo uh, tells this story. You might know that name. He, um, he's a philosophy professor at a small uh, private school in Pennsylvania, I think. But uh, Tony was teaching a, cl- a class one year on existentialism. And um, uh, in one of the classes, he was discussing death and the threat that it poses to living a meaningful life. And so each student in turn was allowed to, uh, to share the effects that their knowledge of their own death had made upon um, the, the, the way that they lived their life. He said the class was comprised primarily of young college students, but there was one woman in there who was a middle-aged woman, and, and she waited until the end to express her opinions, and so all the other youngsters got finished. And so it was her turn, and she said basically as she started, she said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And then she told a story. She said, I I went to an organ concert one time uh, where one of the organ notes got stuck on the organ. And she said, at first, it it was hardly noticeable. Um, You could only hear it during the the pauses in the music. But as the the concert progressed, the, the sound of that stuck note got louder and louder and until it was no longer possible to, to enjoy the music at all. Because that one note ruined everything. And she said, that's the way the reality of death has affected me. She said, when I was younger, uh, you know, I, the only time I thought about death is when I didn't have anything else to think about. She said, but as the years have passed... Uh, the awareness of my own death became more and more pronounced. Um, I, I came to be aware of it not only during the pauses in my life, but, but in every circumstance, in the midst of the routine, and in the midst of the, what was supposed to be enjoyable. And eventually, the awareness of my own death became so powerful that it that permeated everything that I did, everything that I thought, and it has rendered me incapable of enjoying life at all. But you say, well, um, that woman sounds unhealthy, and she sounds a bit phobic. Well, I, I, I might would agree with you, and we're going to call that Sigmund Freud's view of death. But there's another view on the other end of the spectrum that is even more absurd than that, I think. Um, we're going to call that the Disney. We're going to call this one the Disney approach or the Disney view of death. 
Do you remember, um, and this was 18 years ago, so some of you weren't even born, but 18 years, uh, 1994, Disney had a huge blockbuster movie. It was an animated um, uh, musical called The Lion King. You remember that? Um, and um, Lion King, the, you know, the, the, the baby lion was born. They named him Simba. And, and, um, and then all the animals gathered to celebrate the birth of Simba, the king of the jungle. And, and, uh, uh, and the monkey climbed up the mountain. It was called the Mountain of Knowledge or Mountain of something. Um, but the monkey climbed up, and his name was Rafiki, I think, the monkey's name, something like that. And, and he takes the, the lion cub, Simba, and he holds him up to, the, to the, the animal kingdom, and they all bow down and worship the king of the jungle. And while they're, they're, they're celebrating the Simba's birth, they sing a song. And the song in the, in the, uh, the I, and I bet you've heard it, it's called The Circle of Life. You know, that was arranged by Elton John. And it was written by a guy named Tim Rice and sung by a woman that I've never heard of, but she was quite good. But um, they're singing The Circle of Life. Have you ever, have you ever um, heard the words of the, symbol of, uh, the Circle of Life? Do you know what you're singing? You know what it's about? The, the circle of life is a celebration of nature's way of taking and giving life back to the earth. It's about somebody is born, then they live, then they die, then they rot, and then they become food for some other life form. Now, how do you like that? I mean, uh, does that thrill you to know that one day soon you'll be fertilizer? Well, I, you say those, those, um, the, I, I don't like either one of those. Both of those views, I think, are, are absurd. Well, I don't blame you. You can dismiss both of those. But let me give you another, another option, a third option. We're going to call this one the, the Christian view. Let me tell you a story. Um, back in February or so, somewhere around February, I, I, I had an appointment with a couple who had come to talk to me about baptism. And the, the young woman of the couple um, had just lost her mother back in the fall. And, and so I asked her about having, how she was doing about, uh, with the loss of her mother. And, and uh, I mean, she, she, she was precious. She said, I miss her. She said she was my best friend. I love my mother uh, more than anyone else. Um, uh, we were together every day. We were always doing something together. She said, and primarily, I, I just miss her. And then she, she kind of leaned forward in her chair, and she put her elbows on my desk, and she said, Dr. Young, Jesus better be right about who he said he is. Yeah. Yeah, um, but um, how can we be sure? Because of the resurrection, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing so affects how you view and how you prepare for death than does the resurrection. Gang, Upon a life I did not live and upon a death I did not die, I am banking my entire eternity. And if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then I'm, I've staked my eternity on a falsehood. And what I really ought to be doing is eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow, very soon now, I'm going to be fertilizer. 
You know, that, that's, that's my problem with you, Christians. You, you, uh, you're always talking about this mumbo-jumbo about life after death, and I'm concerned about, I'm concerned about this one, and y'all are always talking about this, just, this, this life after death stuff. That's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Well, by mumbo-jumbo, do you mean words like these? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Is that what you're talking about? Is that what you're calling mumbo jumbo? Well, you know what? I agree with you. That is mumbo jumbo. Unless the one who said it has resurrected from the dead. And if the one who said this resurrected from the dead, then it is no longer mumbo-jumbo to me. You know, the one who said this, his life, um, it ended badly. But it got turned around in a resurrection. So will mine. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, 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 at the bottom of my soul, believe that our hearts are made for this gospel message. And it's a story that, that doesn't stop with Jesus having died on the cross for my sins. It goes on. It goes on to triumph. It goes on to victory. It goes on to a resurrection. You know, I, I can't prove to you that he did resurrect from the dead. Um, I believe it. And I believe it because it is the most historically verifiable religious event in the history of, human, uh, of mankind. But all of my persuasive skills will never succeed in convincing you that he did indeed resurrect from the dead. But my friends, I can tell you this much. For Christians, everything is riding on it. And you know what? If you're here this morning as a non-Christian, I say to you, everything, everything is riding on it. Let me explain. Folks, if, if I say that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and he didn't, then that means I'm wrong. But if you say that he didn't resurrect from the dead and he did, you're doomed. You're doomed to an everlasting condemnation. Outside of Jesus Christ, dead. Dead means an eternal separation from God. Listen to me. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the reasons I believe so strongly that the Christian message is the true and because what other message would start by insulting you? <laughs> the Christian message starts by insulting you. 
it, it tells you that you are a moral failure and that what you need is a relationship with him who won through losing. And then he went on to win through winning. He won, death lost. Death lost when he resurrected from the dead. What the Christian gospel says to you, my friend, is that you need more than anything else, you need a Savior. And there's only one of those. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. My friends, the the basis of our solid hope as Christians is not to be found in our own faith. And it's certainly not to be found in our own good works. We as Christians are resting on what Jesus Christ has done for us on our behalf, in our stead, as our representative, as our substitute, in his life, his death, and in his resurrection. Let me tell you two stories, then I'm done. There is a scene in in here in um, Acts 4. Acts chapter 4, where um, Peter and John are arrested. Um, they're arrested by Jewish authorities. They're taken in and interrogated and kind of roughed up a little bit. And, and um, they're, they're, they, they want to know why it is that Peter and John keep preaching this message out in the public marketplace. And so they beat them up a little bit and they warn them. They say, listen here, don't you preach that anymore. We don't want you filling the streets with all your lies. You stop preaching that message about this this Jesus. You stop doing that. And then they let him go. So they they go over to their friends, and uh, they're, of course, excited to see them, that they've been set free by the Jewish authorities. And and then they they talk about how, how grateful they are to be counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. And then they pray. They have a little prayer meeting. And you know what they prayed for? Tell me, what would you pray for? What would you pray for if you've just been released from jail and been roughed up a little bit and, you know, kind of beat up? What would you pray for? Well, let me tell you what I would have prayed for. I, I would have prayed for protection from those mean people. You know what they prayed for? They prayed for boldness. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that prayer for boldness was a death wish. And they knew it. But they could not turn their backs on what they had seen. And what they had seen is a resurrected Jesus Christ. They had seen... Um, the boundaries of space and time ripped to shreds right before their very eyes. And because they had seen that, they would never be the same. Nothing would ever be the same because of the resurrection. Everything in their lives is now different. Because of a resurrection.
I'll tell you one more story and then I'll quit. Um, I am not an expert on Flannery O'Connor. Um, I'm a fan of Flannery O'Connor's. Um, you might know that name. Flannery O'Connor is a southern girl. She uh, was born and raised in Georgia. And um, she's quite a good writer, at least I think. Um, and she left behind a lot of written stuff. But one of the things that she was famous for was her short stories. Flannery O'Connor short stories. Um, and the most famous of which is one that I, I bet you've heard of before. Um, the title of the short story is A Good Man is Hard to Find. You know, I think they made a movie out of it uh, with Doris Day or something. But uh, um, uh, this title is somewhat misleading. Um, the title, as I said, is A Good Man is Hard to Find. But the story is about this psychopath who roams the countryside and kills people. Now, how can you name a story, a good man is hard to find, about a psychopath who likes to kill people? And his name is, they call him the misfit. The psychopath that kills everybody, is they call him the misfit. So as the story unfolds, there's this family, uh, and, and they want to take a little vacation. And so they, they pack their car, and they put grandma in the car, and, and, and they drive, they head to Florida. They have a little vacation. And um, on the way to Florida, they have some car trouble. And the, the car is on the side of the road because they got car trouble. And unfortunately, guess who shows up? Misfit. And Misfit ends up killing them all, including Grandma, who begged for her life. Please don't kill me, but he kills her too. And then after he's killed them all, um, he says this, and I'm going to read it. It's, it's short. But, uh, and I'm going to read it as Flannery O'Connor wrote it. And it's because it's really got, I mean, it's not bad words. It's just bad English. Um, but this is what Misfits said after he had killed this whole family, including Grandma. <laughs> Misfits says this. Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead. And he shouldn't have done it. He thrown everything off balance. If he did what he said he did, then it's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't do what he said he did, then it's nothing for you to do but enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can by killing somebody or burning down his house or doing some other kind of meanness to him. You know that he's right, don't you? You know down in that place where only you and God go, you know he's right. If Jesus Christ did what he said he did, if Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and then raised his people from the dead himself, then there's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and go follow him. But if he didn't do, if he didn't resurrect from the dead, then here's what you need to do. Go out and eat and drink and be merry. Because very soon now, you're going to be fertilizer. 
everything in the Christian faith is riding on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Either he did or he didn't. You're going to have to make that call. Our Father, um, I do pray that you will um, once again remind your people that what we, what we hold dear is not myth, it's not fairy tale, it's not some religious construct that we made up culturally. But what we've got, what we've got a hold of, is that which is everlasting truth. And because it is, our whole lives can be staked on the finished work of Jesus Christ in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. It is the resurrected Lord that says he's going to come back and get us so that we can be with him forever in his Father's house. Our Father, it is it has come to this, that it's either true or that it is false. Would you help every mind and soul here today to wrestle with that one simple truth or that one complex question? Did he? Because if he did, we belong to you and the rest of our lives will spend following you. Our Father, um, would, you, would you by your Spirit... Comfort your people. Comfort them by knowing that what this life is is nothing more than a dress rehearsal for the real one. And would you reveal yourself to those who have not yet seen the beautiful Savior? Do that, we ask, in Jesus' name.